Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and welcome to episode number 185 of the Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? I'm your host, Chris Tripodi, and with me, as always, is Tony Pauline. And this week, we bring you our final show before the 2021 NFL Draft. We'll go back to the draft boards we've been discussing the past two shows with a few updates and finishing touches. But Tony, we've officially almost made it to Draft Day 2021. Almost here. I mean, the usual draft craziness, as we see every year with a lot of stories, a lot of rumors. And I think the thing I'm most excited about this year is there will be fans at the draft because I was sick and tired last year of watching Roger Goodell hang out in his lazy chair and, and make the pick. So it'll be it'll be nice to see the players uh, on stage once they are called and once their names are uh, chosen. Now, we will get to this week's show in just a minute. But first, a word from our sponsor. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Bet online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. The Mac Jones at number three to San Francisco odds are back to being a sizable favorite, but we've talked about that enough. More and more lines obviously opening up as we get closer to the draft. So if you want to bet on trades instead of players, you can. Will the Falcons trade pick four? Will there be more than one and a half trades involving top ten picks? How about four and a half total trades in the first round? Yeah, one and a half trades in the top 10 picks. I think that's a better possibility than four and a half trades in all of round one, but we'll have to wait and see. If you want to bet on any of these things, head on over to the website betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Now, as we always do on any positional show, we will start with the quarterback position and take a look at the most recent draft board from NFL teams. Davis Mills really rising up the board amidst some rumors, you know, ridiculous as they may be, that he might sneak into the end of round one. Kellen Mond kind of rising up into round three. Some rumors he could even go on the second round or in the second round, I should say. Sam Ellinger, now the lone prospect, at least on this particular draft board, that sits in rounds four or five, Jamie Newman, though, falling further into day three. And the prop bet from our friends over at betonline.ag supports that notion with the over-under currently set at pick 170.5 for Mr. Newman. Yeah, I think Sam Ellinger in the fourth, fifth round is a surprise to me. Good guy, smart quarterback, but he just doesn't have the arm strength. Happy to see Shane Bouchelle of SMU get some uh, consideration in the early part of round six. I've always liked this game. I always thought he was underrated. And K.J. Costello somehow has moved back into the conversation as draftable range. Has the arm, but has played a lot of uninspired or just real bad football the past 24 months. Yeah, I mean, we talked about Costello early in the season, and we were excited to watch him because, as you said, the physical tools are there. New offense really opening things up under Mike Leach. But, I mean, he was just a train wreck after that huge game against LSU that everyone thought you know was going to be a springboard for his season. He even got benched for Will Rogers at one point. And, you know, the reality is Costello, the tools are there. I mean, we've said it on the show before. He has an opportunity, but the reality is he just, as you said, he just played really, really bad, really bad football this past season. 
And even during that game against LSU, I believe he had like two interceptions, uh, though they won the game. And I said at the time that Mississippi State head coach Mike Leach would not stand for uh, those interceptions, and he didn't because Costello got the hook soon after that. We'll get to the skill positions next after this word from our new partners over at Monster Bass. On Thursday, we'll find out which teams catch the big fish in this year's NFL draft. Once the draft is over, it might be time for us to catch some big fish of our own, Tony. Weather's getting nice. You're still only allowed 8,000 people at Met Games. So why not grab a fishing pole and uh, catch your dinner? And that is why we are so excited about our newest sponsors over at Monster Bass. Monster Bass is the fun and affordable way to get the best new baits from the fishing industry's top brands delivered to your door each month. Monster Bass is a premium subscription fishing company that handpicks the best baits based on where you live and fish. No more guessing on which baits are going to work. Just leave it to the pros over at Monster Bass. Basically, it's like having your own personal fishing guide, and it's changing the way bass fishermen shop for baits. They're quickly becoming the number one fishing brand of anglers everywhere. They've got the best baits from the best brands, and you're covered by the industry's best customer service. So if you want to catch bigger bass this season, head over to monsterbass.com and use the code DRAFT10 to get $10 off your first box. Sign up for Monster Bass now. Now taking a look at the running back board where the early part of the board really looks the same as it did two weeks ago. The first real difference that I can see, Kylan Hill moving up into the early part of day three. Otherwise, things have really stayed pretty static at the position. Tony, I'm sure you're hearing something about Hill or some of the other players at the running back spot. Yeah, I mean, Ramondre Stevenson still grades as a third-round pick on a lot of boards ahead of Trey Sermon. I just don't get it. I spoke with somebody from Oklahoma who told me they thought it was a bad move by Stevenson to enter the draft. He definitely would have benefited from another year just from a physical standpoint. They look at his body, and they don't think he's NFL-ready. And like I said, at the Senior Bowl, Stevenson just presented himself as a solely a downhill ball carrier who could not turn the corner, doesn't have the speed, struggled catching the ball. Khalil Harbert, I believe, is still very underrated on this board. He's a sixth or seventh rounder. Khalil Harbert, who we had on uh, this podcast uh, a few weeks ago, I recommend people go back because he was an outstanding interview. He's a smart guy. He knows where he's at. And he's a good ball carrier. I mean, he's got speed. He ran the four fours during his pro day. He shows excellent vision. I mean, I look at some of the players ahead of him, Javian Hawkins, Louisville situational player, Demetric Felton, UCLA, good player, but he's got limited speed. Jared Patterson of Buffalo is ahead of him on this board. Jared Patterson was, what, 5'6 during his pro day. Very productive, but he runs in the four sixes. I just think that Herbert, anywhere out of the top three rounds, once you get into day three, is going to be great value. Wasn't Jared Patterson like 190 pounds too or something like that for the type of back that he is? I, I'll bring up his measurements, but uh, I know the size and the speed uh, were less than desirable, plus the fact Jared Patterson is a solid running back, but if you watch the, uh, those, the game film, I mean, he had holes the size of mammoth craters to run through, and a lot of times he wasn't touched. Five, six and a half, 195 pounds, four, six, five, and that four, six, five was generous because I was also getting times in the four sevens on Jared Patterson during his pro day. 
Yeah, it kind of sounds like uh, what Devin Singletary came in at a, a couple of years ago and what Singletary went in the third round. But I think Singletary is a little, no, Singletary was 5'7", so he was only slightly taller. Not too much difference. But yeah, still, it's surprising because, I mean, Khalil Herbert brings explosiveness and he's bigger than Jared Patterson. And I understand that, you know, things are important at the running back position that aren't size and speed, vision, footwork, things like that. But Khalil Herbert has that kind of stuff too. So just very surprising to see him as low as he is and kind of below some of the backs, as you mentioned. And he caught the ball very well during senior bowl practices and he didn't do a bad job in blocking drills. So we'll wait and see. This is just uh, one opinion on a draft board. But again, as, as far as I'm concerned, once day three starts, Khalil Herbert's great value. Now, we mentioned no real changes at the running back position, at least early on. Some definite changes at wide receiver near the top. Rashad Bateman falling to late round one, which probably at this point is going to make him a steal. Just a good, solid player who just, you know, his 2020 was ransacked by COVID and everything else. Elijah Moore, though, out of Old Miss, is rising from a mid-second rounder to that mid-first round spot that Bateman formerly held on to. Real big jump for the slot man here. Tony, I know Moore is a good player, but why the late movement? Speed, uh, the season he had. I mean, a lot of teams right now have Elijah Moore as the fourth receiver on their board. He's a true home run hitting threat who's also, you know, a real good receiver. He's more polished than Jalen Waddell. I, I mean, that's the bottom line. Jalen Waddell, for a couple of reasons, obviously couldn't see the field in 2019 because of the depth at the receiver position for Alabama. And then the injury this year, you know, has had his development stunted for one reason or another. Elijah Moore just... He was good in 2019. He was outstanding in 2020. Now, granted uh, that Lane Kiffin offense does exaggerate some things, but they look at the speed. They look at the pass catching skill. They look at the, the ability as a return specialist. You can run them on reverses. That's why a lot of teams really like Elijah Moore, which is why he could be a first round pick. Now, looking a bit later on at the wideout position, Marquez Stevenson, a guy we discussed last week as being ranked surprisingly low on this particular board is now all the way up to round three, as is Tutu Atwell on North Texas's Jalen Darden took a bit of a tumble from a late day two pick all the way down to late on day three. Tony, what's on your mind at the rest of the position here beyond the top? Yeah, Tutu Atwell is a late third rounder. I have him as a fourth rounder. I love him as a player, 155 pounds at pro day, 146 pounds when he went to combine medicals and stepped on the scale. I just don't know how you draft him early. Frank Darby, I believe, is finally getting the credit he deserves, graded as a mid-fourth round choice. There have been a couple of forces moving against Frank Darby. Obviously, with, there was the depth of the position in Arizona State in 2019. Last year was the fact they you know, was on again, off again. I believe they finished with playing four games. But Frank Darby is a terrific pass catcher. Doesn't have great speed, but is a guy who separates through his route running, uh, catches the ball very, very well. Uh, and I think he's going to be a good player at the next level. Josh Palmer of Tennessee also getting a lot of love uh, in the fourth round, which is a lot higher than people have him ranked. Now over at the tight end position, Brevin Jordan and Hunter Long have essentially switched places in round three on this board. Now Long is rated two tiers higher than Jordan and Jordan really falling down draft boards late in the process here. A huge riser though at the spot is UCF's Jacob Harris. Wasn't even listed on this board two weeks ago. Now he's a late fifth rounder. Tony, what can you tell us about Harris along with some of the guys like Long, Jordan, and anybody else? If Reverend Jordan may end up in day three of the draft, he may get go very late. Teams are concerned about his football acumen. They think he's a great athlete who's going to take a while to develop into a football player. 
Uh, and basically, they don't think he's the sure thing. I think it's foolish. I, you know, I, I like his upside. It may take some time to develop, but so is just about every other tight end in this draft, not named Kyle Pitts. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that is uh, the way the position is. Um, so that's, that, that was rather interesting. Hunter Long is a third rounder. I, I just don't get it. I mean, Hunter Long is a solid pass catcher. He's a solid blocker. We talked about him during the season. He's a real tough guy, but he's just not outstanding in any way, shape or form. I, I think he's a number two, maybe a number one in the right system. I don't think he's got a great amount of upside. I think he'll be a solid pro, uh, but nothing more than that. You know, Jacob Harris, uh, at the tight end position, he probably wasn't on his board because he was a wide receiver at Central Florida. Now, 6'5", 219 pounds, ran a 4.42 uh, at his pro day, which was a lot faster than anyone thought. He catches the ball really well, but he's not a real fluid or smooth guy. So I think the game plan is, is maybe put 10 pounds on him and turn him into a move tight end. Now, offensive tackles right now, moving up draft boards, kind of like quarterbacks do as the draft gets closer, just due to the importance placed on the position. So really not a surprise to see Tevin Jenkins jump into round one on this board in the late portion. And then Alex Leatherwood and Liam Eichenberg moving into early round two territory. We did discuss Florida's Stone Forsyth two shows ago. Now he has jumped a couple rounds as well, rates just outside the top 10 at the position on this particular board. Tony, what stands out to you among the tackles? Liam Eikenberg continues to move up draft boards. There are people who think that Liam Eikenberg of Notre Dame is going to be a first round pick. I'm sorry. I just don't see it. I mean, to me, he's just a big immobile left tackle on the college level. It's going to have to move to right tackle. I know he's got excellent length. Doesn't do a bad job bending his knees, but he's just not very athletic. I, I you know, I, I struggle to see it. Conversely, Jalen Mayfield is sliding. We talked about this last week. He may slide into the third round. Right now, he's graded on most boards as a late second round choice. Some people think he's not even going to be able to play tackle in the NFL. He's better off moved inside the guard. You know, was terrific in 2019, only played three games last season because of an injury, although he initially said he was opting out. Didn't work out well, didn't have great interviews. Uh, if you get the Jalen Mayfield that you had in 2019, you're able to build upon it. You come away with a steal late in round two. Otherwise, you could have a guy that really never lives up to expectations. And the other guy that is dropping down draft boards because of poor workouts, because of interviews that haven't gone so well, or James Hudson. I mean, there was a point in time where some people thought James Hudson uh, could be a mid-day two pick, yours truly included. Now it looks like James Hudson's going to be off the board somewhere in the middle of day three. And moving inside where Creed Humphrey is looking more and more like an early second rounder. But the real news that I see on this particular board, Tony might have something to say about this or anything else as well. Tennessee's Trey Smith rated as a late second round pick a couple of days ago. Now he's a day three guy really has been kind of a precipitous fall for Smith, Tony, from his preseason perch to where he is now. What's going on there? Combine medicals. That's it. I mean, Trey Smith has had problems in the past with blood clots. He missed an entire season. Because of it, I, I'm not sure he's going to go uh, in the early fourth round as they have him here. I still have him as, as a day two pick, but it's basically medicals. Medicals are, are the factor that can drop a guy faster than any, uh, any other reason on the boards. And there are some teams that have red flag Smith because of past medical problems. And these are, these are not injuries. These are, this is a medical history with Trey Smith. Now, that's kind of what we see on the first two days on this board. 
Obviously, there are going to be plenty of interior offensive linemen taken later on. One of those positions where when you do get players later that can turn into starters, it is along the interior offensive line. Tony, what are you seeing later on in the draft? Yeah, a player that a lot of people like and there's a variety of opinion of is Ben Cleveland of Georgia, a big, massive lineman who's relatively athletic, but who's also a powerhouse. He basically plays to his size. And Cleveland, uh, during the Senior Bowl, came in at six, six and a half, 354 pounds, then ran 503 during uh, Georgia Pro Day. I mean, think about that. 354 pounds, almost got under five seconds during Pro Day. He's a powerful guy. He is a power gap type of lineman. You're not going to use him in his own blocking system. Uh, he's a bit one dimensional, but you know, some of those teams, a team like the Pittsburgh Steelers could swipe him off the board early in round four because people feel he's going to be a real good player at the next level. Flipping over to the defensive side of the football here, and we'll start with the defensive line. Some more separation has been created between Christian Barmore and Levi Onwuzurike on this board. Milton Williams and Tommy Togiai essentially switching spots in rounds two and three. The biggest mover, though, at least in terms of upward mobility, is NC State's Oleem McNeil from the top half of day three into the top half of round three. Tony, fill us in on McNeil's rise. Jacksonville Jaguars really like him a lot. He's a he's a quick three technique type of tackle who plays with excellent leverage. He's a wide bodied guy. Needs to just physically mature and get a little bit stronger. But uh, you know, the, there's been some talk about the Jaguars taking a defensive tackle at the end of round one. You look at that organization. You look at how many first round picks they've used on defensive line players uh, over the past five years, and a lot of those guys have not panned out. I can't see the Jaguars t- using another first-round pick on the defensive line. I think Aleem McNeil, who they spent a lot of time with on Monday during uh, the North Carolina State second pro day, uh, would be a great addition for them in round three. Could fill a need with a good player, and they don't have to use a first-round pick on him. Now, Gregory Rousseau continues to slide on the edge board, now a mid-second rounder instead of an early one. On last week's show, we talked about Carlos Basham, being underrated as a late second rounder. Well, they heard us. Apparently he is now on this board an early second round pick, which to me fits him a lot better in terms of his talent level and where he should go in the draft. Makes a lot more sense. Jason Oa and Joe Tryon also up in that range now. But Tony Rousseau went from edge four to edge seven in just a week. What's going on? And he could drop even further. I'm told that Peyton Turner, who is listed as a mid third round pick, is likely going to be selected before Rousseau. Uh, Peyton Turner, I think, could be a surprise come draft day. Um, You know, Rousseau, people are are struggling to see that he's anything more than a one-year wonder. I mean, he was was a great edge rusher in 2019, and then he decided to opt out this year, announcing that he was going to uh, prepare for the draft. He had an okay pro day. It wasn't anything out of the ordinary. Uh, It just really didn't impress a lot of people. So again, you're looking at a guy that's got one year of great production. Looks like he could be a liability at the next level against the run. You don't know whether 2019 was the norm for Gregory So or whether it's the exception to the rule. Keep an eye on Peyton Turner because, like I said, I think he's going to surprise on uh, on draft day. It's nice to see Carlos Basham start to get the due that I believe you know we both feel that he he deserves. I still think he's a better pick than Jason Owe. You could say Owe's got more upside, but Basham, you know what you're getting, and you're getting a guy that plays tough, instinctive football on every single down. Now, later on, on the edge board, Northern Iowa's Ellerson Smith moving up 
now looking like a third round pick while he's kind of taking the place of Notre Dame's Adeogandeji, who is sliding back into the third day. Tony, what else stands out to you on the edge? I mean, Victor Dubikaje of Duke, a real good college player. He gets a draftable grade on this board. I just don't see it. He doesn't have the size or the speed. He's got the intensity. Maybe somebody takes a chance on him late uh, in round seven. Patrick Jones just continues to tumble. I mean, there was a time when a lot of people, not myself, thought that Patrick Jones would be one of the best edge rushers in this year's class. Uh, some people project him as a top 42 pick. Some people said a first round pick. I mean, he's a guy who just didn't look very athletic during pro days, ran in the four rates. If you watched him uh, during senior bowl practice, he was constantly held up at the point. Our friend Quinn Miners handled him in one-on-one uh, blocking when Miners was used out of tackle on occasion. Uh, so that everything seems to be going against uh, Patrick Jones. And really one of the wild cards in the draft, and it'll be interesting to see where he goes, is Malcolm Kuntz. Malcolm Kuntz on this board is graded as a seventh rounder priority free agent. I have him as a fourth rounder. There are some people who think he's going to go in the second round. He's a good pass rusher. No one knows what kind of an athlete he is. He didn't uh, test during the Buffalo Pro Day. I believe it was because of hamstring injury. He is a good pass rusher, and he's a guy that you can use standing over tackle or out of a three-point stance on occasion. I really like him, but I think he's more of a workman-like type of middle-round choice uh, rather than the second-round choice that people project him as. I know this. He's much better than a seventh-round pick that uh, some, some boards have him at. The interesting thing you mentioned, Patrick Jones, is heading into the season, people thought he was the more athletic defensive end than Rashad Weaver, his super productive teammate, but Weaver was the guy who had more production, was just the better football player. Well, now it looks like Weaver kind of has him on both ends there. Um, just, you know, a real big fall for Jones. And he's a guy that doesn't have great size either. So just the physical traits that people thought were there with Jones just aren't there. While, you know, his teammate is really separating from him when preseason, a lot of people had Patrick Jones higher than Rashad Weaver. When you're six four and a half, two hundred and sixty-four pounds, and you struggle to break a four nine during pro day, that's not good. Granted, you know, 40 times are not the end all or be all, but it is a mark of athleticism. And going back to what you said about coming into the season, coming into the season, scouts graded him as a potential top 45 pick. So it shows you, you know, really how far he's fallen. Weaver was a bit of an unknown because he was injured and he didn't play in 2019. He also came in the season with a relatively high grade. He played well in spurts. I think also teams look at Weaver and they think he's got better growth potential down the road. Now, not much different in terms of movement at the linebacker position, except for Derek Barnes, a guy we said was graded too low last week. That has been corrected on this particular board, moving from a late fourth rounder to early in round three. Tony, I know you like Barnes a lot. Is he graded correctly and in line with where you have him now? Absolutely. I have him as a late third rounder. I'm told he could potentially go late second. Teams look at that second tier of linebackers, the off the ball space linebackers, whatever you want to call them. Nick Bolton of Missouri, Jabril Cox of LSU, Baron Browning of Ohio State, Pete Werner of Ohio State, Derek Barnes of Purdue, Chaz Surratt of North Carolina. And they look at those guys as the next clump. And it's anybody's guess as to where they'll go. There are some people who think Derek Barnes could be a late second round pick. I think he's more third round. I'm told they like him as an inside linebacker in a three, four, no surprise there. He can stack against the run. We've talked about his uh, cover skills and they even feel that you can stand him up over tackle and send him up the field on blitz downs or pass rushing downs. I think the guy that continually gets a lot of disrespect is Dylan Moses. I think it's a disservice just to grade Dylan Moses off the 2020 film 
when he was asked to play assignment football rather than to make plays. You watch him off the 2017, then 2018 campaigns, and Dylan Moses, before the knee injury that kept him out of 2019, looked like a legitimate top 20 pick. I think anything out of the top 45 selections, he's a steal, and I think he's going to end up somewhere around three. And it's a really interesting year to overrate the film because of just everything that happened this year. Um, you know, obviously the SEC had a more normal situation than a lot of other conferences, but still, I mean, it's just a weird year to say, you know what, we're going to take a guy who, as you said, was graded very highly based on his prior film. Yes, he had an injury and missed 2019. So, you know, people were probably viewing it as we haven't seen this version of Dylan Moses in two years. So we want to see that before we move him up. But I mean, to drop him so far based off of a an injury, which he came back from and looked fine from, he looks recovered from his injury. And also based on a season where weird things were happening, uh, guys were in different positions and especially somebody who lost the prior season just seems really weird to overrate a 2020 campaign compared to other seasons and, and past production that, you know, he's shown on film where he can be a very talented linebacker. And the thing is, it's not that he played bad football. It's he played assignment football and just didn't make a lot of plays. You know, one guy we're going to talk about at the cornerback position, Sean Wade played bad football last year. Uh, so, but again, that, that's, that's where you get steals. That's where you get guys who should be rated higher and, and you come away you know, with those bargains. Now, speaking of the cornerback position, like Tony mentioned, FSU's Asante Samuel is a guy moving up into round two now. Kentucky's Kelvin Joseph sliding, though, from the start of the round to the end of it on this board. Other than that, though, not really much has changed at the cornerback position, Tony. Are you hearing anything different than what we're seeing on this particular board? No, but, you know, again, Sean Wade, you look at him now, he's a late a fifth round pick on this board. I have more as a fourth rounder. I mean, this was a guy who at one point in time, a lot of people, including myself, thought was worth a first round pick. You look at the history of some of these Ohio State cornerbacks, Eli Apple, Bradley Roby, guys who were really good early in their career, had an off season and then entered the draft as underclassmen, hasn't worked out for those guys. Even Damon Arnett, uh, I'm told, has one foot out the door with the Las Vegas Raiders. So it, it, it's interesting dynamic. Wade did not play well at all. He looked like he'd rather be elsewhere at times. And his draft stock is obviously paying the price for it. And obviously, when you look at someone like Wade, I mean, if he enters the draft last season as an underclassman, like all these prior guys, he does go very high. He is a very high pick. And then, I mean, you know, if, if he played this poorly in college last year, I can't imagine the NFL would have been very kind to him. So he would have just added his name to another list there of, you know, highly drafted Ohio state corners that really didn't pan out. Now it's kind of completely flipped the script. He is now a day three corner who has shown glimpses of being a higher pick. So I don't want to say he's a steal at this point, like a Dylan Moses, because as you said, I mean, it was just awful, awful tape you know, bad effort, bad play. I mean, this is a guy, you mentioned him being a first rounder. I think I laughably called him a lock first round pick. Granted, you know, we didn't expect to see this level of play from him. He would have been a first round pick if he played like he had played in prior years, but, you know, obviously just a, a tragic season for him, but it's kind of script flipping because he's not going to be a high pick now. So there might be some people out there that are going to argue, well, you know what? This guy looked like he could have been a first round pick at points. Why not draft him early on day three? And you have him as a fourth round pick. So I guess, you know, that's kind of the boat you might be in. Again, you, you know, you, you got to come to some sort of happy medium. Look what I said about guys like Bradley Roby and uh, Eli Apple, how they never panned out. 
Wade has the underlying talent. He's got terrific size. He's fast. He's shown coverability. I, I think the big issue is Wade was never a number one corner because in 2019, he was more nickel playing with Jeffrey Okuda and Damon Arnett. And this year he was relied upon to be, you know, the starting outside corner for Ohio State. And he failed for more times than not. He failed, which I think is a major concern. Now, the final position we'll take a look at here is the cornerback's friend in the secondary, the safeties. And at the top of the board, much like the cornerback position, no real differences, not a ton of movement. But when you get to round three, Jamar Johnson from Indiana and Tyree Gillespie from Missouri, a guy we did mention on last week's show, have both moved into the top five at the position. And then we have the same kind of glut in rounds four and five that we did last week. Should see a similar number of safeties drafted in those two rounds as we do in the top three rounds combined. Tony, any parting thoughts at the safety position? Jamar Johnson reminds me a lot of another Johnson, John Johnson, the third round pick of the Los Angeles Rams in 2017, who just signed a huge contract with the Cleveland Browns. He's not the greatest athlete. He's not the fastest guy, but he's instinctive. He's smart. He's tough. He moves well laterally. He doesn't have mental lapses on the field. He keeps the action in front of him, which is why I think in what is pretty much a weak safety class, he's more of the sure thing, which is why he's likely to go in the third round. Divine Diablo is a linebacker size safety, which is kind of ironic because in this day and age of the NFL, we see safety size linebackers. Divine Diablo is a linebacker size safety who hits like a ton of bricks, very athletic, ran 4.45 at his pro day. He's not great sideline to sideline, doesn't have great ball skills. He's not the type of guy you're going to place over the uh, slot receiver or in man coverage because he's a liability, but he hits hard. He's a Jamal Adams type of safety, if you will, very good up the field or in the box. Uh, and he's got great athleticism. And, and I think teams feel they, they can coach him up. And that's it for the 185th episode of the Draft Analyst, presented by Bet Online and the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us any questions and give any feedback you may have as well. We'll be back next week to finally talk about actual draft picks. Boy, that's going to feel good. But until then, for Tony Pauline, this is Chris Tripodi. Good night. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.